hey, this is Sharon, and how amazing would it be if you could just put up one social media post and attract clients? How amazing would it be if you could just do one Instagram story and raise money for your next company? How amazing would it be if influencers and celebrities are reaching out to you to partner with them? Well, this is a story where I get deep into what Brett Knudsen does and his advice on how you can actually build a brand to attract investors, clients, and influencers all on autopilot. This is an amazing story where Brett drove cross-country in his beat-up Ford Taurus all the way to the Bay Area and built several companies, raising money without any network. And today, he's an advisor and the secret weapon behind some of the biggest brands and the most sought-after celebrities in the world. This is a super tactical episode, and you're going to love Brett's humility and also his very, very specific ideas on how you can build a brand that attracts investors, warms up clients, and wants influencers to JV with you all on autopilot with my friend and the CEO of Monopolies, Brett Knudsen. Get ready. Here we go. One thing is for certain, just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to, how to grow your business, how to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Srivatsa, and welcome to Business School. Brett, so there's a shoe in your office that you talk often about. I think it's back there, right? Um, and it's got a hole in it. Yeah. And I know that shoe means a lot to you because um, it there's a lot of symbolism behind it. And the Brett that walked in those shoes, literally, to the Brett that is today is a whole different person uh, with a lot of lot of gifts, a lot of impact. Um, I'd love for you to start with, just kick off with that shoe story, man, because when I saw and heard it for the first time, I was like, okay, now I understand him and connect with him so much more. Yeah. So um, in 2013, uh, I came up with an idea along with a friend of mine for a social network called Hive. And the idea stemmed from trying to solve a problem for my mom. So my mom is chronically disabled and uh, as a result of her disability, she lost her license. So she was just sitting at home by herself. My parents are divorced. So she was just sitting at home by herself, kind of living vicariously through me and my siblings because she couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. And she was just really lonely. And I started looking up ways for her to maybe be able to find new friends nearby or something. And this was like 2012, you know, so there wasn't really anything at that time. And so uh, being naive is is advantageous sometimes because you have no idea how insanely impossible something is until you try it. And so I decided to start a social network for my mom. And that led me to uh, moving out to Silicon Valley to try and raise money. And while I was out there, I, I had a 1992 Ford Taurus that I had drove all the way out there from Minnesota, which barely made it. That's a different story. Um, but long story short, the car ended up breaking down I pulled it into a fast food uh, like parking lot nearby and I went in and I said, Hey, I can't afford to like, I can't afford a tow truck right now, but I'll figure out something tomorrow. Can I leave it overnight? And you'll just let it be here. Cause all around it said that you get towed. And uh, the manager said, yeah, no worries. Like I understand. I'll let the night shift manager know. And she must've forgotten my car got impounded in Oakland, which, you know, it's $900 minimum plus a hundred dollars a day plus five, you know, so it's 1500 bucks and a hundred dollars a day every day. I didn't have the 1500 and my car wasn't even worth 1500. So all my belongings uh, in the car and the car itself were now gone. So I had this part-time entry-level retail job that I got because it was flexible and I could take my investor meetings and stuff around it and they would let me bend my schedule. And it was minimum wage, and I was uh, driving to and from when I had the car. Well, I didn't know that I wasn't going to have a car. So now I'm walking several miles to my job 
because I couldn't afford, uh, you know, an Uber or anything. So I'm walking several miles to and from my job every single day in full dress clothes. And I only could afford and only had one pair of dress shoes. And so it didn't take very long, you know, maybe like three, four months before the shoes were just completely destroyed. And I'm walking in the rain to and from work. I'm walking in 110 degree weather to and from work in full long sleeve everything. And, uh, and the holes in my shoes started to get so bad that when it rained, um, my socks would just get soaked and full of mud. Uh, and I would just work like that. I, I probably looked like I was homeless while I was selling people their stuff on, on days when it was really hot or really rainy, but it was the only choice that I had. And so finally, when we raised money, which was like almost two years and from when I first came up with the concept, because I didn't have any relationships in Silicon Valley, I didn't know anybody when I first moved there, um, I decided to keep the shoe. So mm -hmm. now it's on, it's on display up there. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's, uh, it's a reminder of the sacrifice that's required to pursue your dreams. And it's something that I, I treasure still to this day. So. Dude, that's amazing. Uh, the social network idea, which is which is pretty cool, by the way, right? Like at that time, it's not like today where social networks are commonplace. Uh, you actually, you wanted to literally create a support group uh, for your mom. And that's led to, I guess that's given you insane background for the stuff that you do today because you understand a social network at its very rudimentary level. Um, what were like a, how did you pitch? Like what were a couple of lessons from uh, when you, when you were trying to explain a, the social network concept to investors? Like you're literally trying to say, Hey, I'm trying to do this. What were like a couple of things that you still remember from that time from uh, pitching to investors? So my big thing was I wanted to create something where people could find the people who were nearby that shared the same interests as them. And then the idea would be that if they're nearby and they like the same stuff as you, you could go meet up and, and actually do that thing, right? So right. if it's skiing or if it's watching a basketball game or whatever it is. And so um, what ended up working as my pitch to investors, which took a long time to kind of fine tune, was just learning what a lot of, uh, what causes a lot of people's loneliness. And so we would give a bunch of different examples of times in people's lives when they're struggling, whether they just moved somewhere new, right? Whether they uh, just got out of college and for the first time they're in an environment where it's not as easy to make friends, uh, whether they're a freshman in college and there's 30,000 people around them and they feel alone. If they're a stay at home mom, right? Like there's just so many instances in, in our lives where we're more prone to being lonely and, and struggling to find meaningful relationships. And when I shared that with the, the man who ended up becoming our lead investor, who's one of the co-founders of EA Games, Electronic Arts. His son at the time was uh, a freshman in college and had just called him and told him that he was struggling to make friends. And so that's kind of what started us down the road of what ultimately became Hive and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people using it and, and we raised millions of dollars and uh, it, was, it was a really fun journey. Yeah. So, um, I would love for, um, for even two years of talking to networking, talking to investors, both you and I have done the, you know, kind of the, the that's both the Sandhill and off Sandhill route, uh, in the Bay area, uh, probably told no so many times. I think every time I got told no, I just, uh, I was like, how can I make my pitch better? Like yeah. I didn't, that was the best piece of advice I got there. Like when someone tells you, no, you should just go ask the question, how can I make that pitch better? And I realized which exactly what you just said, which was my pitch turned from, hey, this is a business plan pitch to this is a human plan pitch. Like it all became like a, hey, let me tell you the story about why this is so important. By the way, uh, you know, if you believe in that, then all of this stuff will figure it out. And I never, re I was completely backwards on here's my analytical self. Here's how logical it needs to be. Here's the market competition. And all of that, I realized that people didn't even care about. Uh, yeah. They just want to get connected with the story. So uh, if you could think back and say, hey, what would be a few things that you would have either either done differently or started differently when talking to investors is the same thing across the board, right? And so uh, for those that are listening right now, a lot of them have an idea 
want to do something with it, could use a little capital from either a family member or a friend, or even a third party or a JV partner. Um, any thoughts on how someone can position their idea so that it is welcomed and kind of given more uh, support than they, than they normally would think? Yeah, so it's, telling stories is huge, right? So if, if you look at most of the world's most uh, successful companies and also just like charitable organizations, they don't focus on the problem and the numbers as much as they focus on telling the story of, say, one person. So instead of saying there's millions of people who are, uh, millions of children who are starving, they would say this is Eliana. Eliana's seven years old, and she hasn't eaten in seven days. So if you, know, if you want to support Eliana, you can call this number here, right? And that, that human-to-human uh, aspect of business is what makes businesses work and thrive. And so it took me a long time to figure that out too, because I was so pumped about like the data side of Hive. Cause I was like, we have more demographic information than Facebook. We have everybody's exact location. We have all of their interests as told to us by them. And like, there was this huge, brilliant play for monetization. Um, but ironically, when I started telling the story about my mom, which is what I, you know, what made me come up with the idea, which I didn't think anybody cared about. Uh, that was what resonated with everybody. And, um, and then there, there's a couple other, pieces too that I think are important that 99% of the people that reach out to me with business ideas don't have in place, which is, it's the basics, right? You need to have a pitch deck. Yeah. If you don't have a pitch deck, you don't bother pitching. So you need to have a pitch deck, learn how to put together a good pitch deck that tells a compelling story. Um, learn how to be resourceful too, right? So like, I don't need to break this down. You can go on Google. Yeah. Right. And it, it sounds obvious, but a lot of people it's, it's, this is a struggle. It certainly was a struggle for me. The only way that I learned half this stuff was by wasting a bunch of investors time by prematurely pitching them when I didn't have all the right stuff. So have a pitch deck. Uh, next is have an MVP, a minimum viable product of some kind, yeah. get as far along the journey as you possibly can before you talk to people, because they're going to want to see something tangible. Yeah. If it's way too expensive to build something tangible, then pay a designer to design it so they can at least see it on paper. Yeah. Right. So get as far along as you can get it out of your head and either onto paper or in real life in some way, build a beta, whatever it takes. Um, and then make sure that you, you've, you know, anchored down your story into something that can be shared in 30 seconds and have a huge lasting impact on the person. Yeah, dude, that's so good. And you know, the interesting part is, um, one of the, we invested in a, in a, in a, app company that was doing uh, stuff for the consumer in the real estate space. It was doing an inventory of homes, right? So essentially it would, it would, it was almost like a Carfax for your home, which is a really cool idea because yeah. the data, no one's ever been given access to inside the house. Like Zillow has everything outside the house, but no one has anything inside the house. And so we had this idea and I said, well, cool idea. I understand it, but show it to me. And they were like, well, they're drawing stuff. I go, listen, literally go to, envision.com or whatever. It's, yeah. it is literally like $29 a month. You, I had them draw on their, uh, on, on pieces of paper and take phone snapshots, essentially like when you're the old school, uh, cartoons, yeah. they would make cartoons. And I was like, you don't even need a designer. Just put a button, put an arrow, put a link, and then just show me like transitions so that I can see it on the app. Like yeah. you should be able to do this tomorrow for free. Yeah. And well, and, and, and yeah. people don't even know that that exists because they're not resourceful enough because they're, they're focused on the wrong thing, right? They're focused on talking to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's amazing when suddenly you say, hey, you tell your mom's story and then you say, well, let me show you how this would work. And by the way, forgive me because I did this my, myself. And imagine, I'd love for your imagination to flow. And you hand them this app and they can start to press a button. As soon as they press a button, they're committed to this journey with you. And, and that's when it gets like that. That's why, you know, like when, when you already have a product and you're in like your, my second raising my second round, my series B was way easier because they could go in, they could play. They, yeah. It was, it brought everything to life. Yeah. So dude, you had, you literally had nothing. You drove your Taurus from Minnesota all the way to the Bay area because to help your mom in some way. And that was the seed of an idea. Uh, there've been multiple companies since then, but, We've gotten to partner with you guys and you're amazing partners for us and things that we do. I want to, I want to, like you have a, you have a PhD in social stuff in your head. Like I'd say double PhD because not only do you see it from the consumer side, you also see it from the 
creator, you know, kind of monetization side, which is, I don't, I don't think the average person sees both sides, which now you know the value of it. Um, my first question for you is there's a lot of talk about creating these audiences, right? Like how I, Sharon, want to build an audience to have my message because the platform allows me to do that. Talk to us about just the power of an audience today and, and why is it important? Um, why is it so accessible and why has it been never as this accessible before? Wow. So that is probably one of the most important questions that people should be asking that I don't feel like anybody's asking. Uh, building a brand, especially a personal brand, the opportunity is so great and the barrier of entry is so low that there's A, no excuse, and B, it's almost becoming less of an option and more of a necessity. If you want to stand out, you have to have a personal brand. If you want investors, if you want uh, you know, your, your company, your, your, you know, some new company to succeed, if you have a personal brand, you immediately have access to that, right? And so like for me, the first time I tried to start a company, everything was so hard, right? It was so hard to get attention and so hard to get press and so hard to get investors and so hard to get everything. Now that I have a personal brand, I could just post a story <laughs> and I could have all of those things. And I have in the past. I started a digital accelerator a few years ago and I posted, I said, hey, I'm looking for investors for a new venture and I raised a quarter million dollars in less than 30 days for my Instagram. That's amazing. Right? And so... Um, having a personal brand is huge because it's the one thing you can take with you everywhere you go. Yeah. So whether you work a normal job and you get laid off, furloughed, right? All the stuff that's happened to everybody, having a personal brand will set you apart. It'll also help you build supplemental side income, you know, throughout your whole life. Yeah. And then also if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, having a personal brand means that when you start a new company, you don't have to start from zero all the time. Yeah. You always start ahead of the starting line. Right. And so a personal brand, a lot of people spend tons and tons of money investing into the actual company brand and nothing on their personal brand. So when the company sells or fails or whatever happens to the company, then they're starting at zero again every single time. Yeah. Right. And so you look at some of the people and I won't say any names, but some of the people with really big personal brands, every single time they start a new thing, that's instantly successful. Yeah. Multi-million dollar company, multi-million dollar company every single time, because they already have an audience that's ready and that trusts them, right? And they already have credibility with that audience. And so building a personal brand is incredible. A lot of people think that it takes money to build a personal brand. What I'll say there is it does take money if you want to accelerate the process, hmm. right? But it doesn't take money if you're willing to be very, very diligent and resourceful and, and you know, just consistent over a long period of time to say, start a YouTube channel from scratch start a podcast from scratch, so, you know, like start posting on TikTok, right? Like there's a lot of platforms that will allow you to build an audience over time organically and it's all free. Now you can accelerate that growth very rapidly through working with an agency. And, and that's something that, that you and I both help people do, but it's not, uh, it's not required. If you don't have the budget, don't let that be an excuse for you to not build a brand because it is absolutely life changing. Brett, what is um, what have you seen uh, as the stumbling block for someone to say, "Well, I'm self-conscious building a personal brand," or "What should my personal brand be?" I mean, you advise some of our friends are the biggest personal brands around, right? And and I would actually say you've probably helped them tune in their stuff and get the right shifts that they even have never thought about. Um, so. What do you think is the, the person listening right now saying, okay, I get it. I understand it. How do I, where do I start? And, and what question, one or two questions should I answer to, to actually start doing something right online? Well, so there's, there's my favorite way of figuring out how to build a brand is reverse engineering the end result you want. So if you want to build, say you want to build a lifestyle brand. And you're like, you know what, I don't want to have to work at a desk. I want to be able to, to travel. Okay, cool. Like, do, do you want to become a travel blogger? You know, like what, how can you leverage a personal brand as a means to an end 
And then ultimately, once you build that brand, you can then teach other people how to do the same thing and sell that information to support you to continue to grow your brand, right? So you see this all the time. I probably have over 100 different clients that I work with that make a full-time living by teaching other people what, like how, how they grew their brand to do what they want to do, right? So whether they're a mommy blogger or a travel blogger or a, you know, a internet marketer, like there's all sorts of people with personal brands, big and small. Like there are people who make a full-time living with under 100,000 followers. And wow. I can tell you right now, the direct monetization that we do for several of our clients, uh, there are people with under 100,000 followers that are making a full-time like livable wage just from their Instagram, like only their Instagram. And that, that's the amazing, amazing power of building a personal brand and social media and, and having an audience because you don't need a million people to make a living. You need like a hundred, you know, and yeah. you can do a lot with a hundred true fans. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, and, and what happens um, a lot of time, what, what I hear from, you know, several of our clients, et cetera, is they say, well, um, you know, that video didn't do very well. It's very easy early on to get discouraged. And how do you, how can we, how can we kind of coach the, the, the first kind of call it the first 30, 60, 90 days of, Hey, I'm just getting stuff started. I'm getting familiar with the platform. I'm getting, I'm starting to date the algorithm a little bit to see if this is even working. What kind of coaching or advice would you have for somebody to like not get discouraged up front as they're creating content and figuring it out? So, uh, step zero, just as far as like helping to prevent that as much as possible is just be on platforms where, uh, the organic nature of the platform is a little bit more friendly to new creators right. like TikTok. I think TikTok is a fantastic platform if you are brand new, uh, because it's very unlikely that you're going to create something and post it and get no views, right? If you do the same thing on Instagram, that is highly likely yeah. uh, that you would get no views. And, and even with YouTube. Uh, so I would start on a, a platform like TikTok. But the way to see it is imagine if uh, instead of seeing the number and comparing it to bigger numbers of yeah. influencers that you follow, which is the worst comparison is the theft of joy. Uh, it's a thief of joy. So don't compare yourself to others, but instead think of every single view or every single like uh, as a, a full like human person yeah. in person sitting there in a chair anxiously waiting to see your stuff. So if you've got 30 people, 30 views, that's a whole classroom worth of people who are sitting there and like, and so, so many people, they go, man, like 30 views, like that's embarrassing. It's like you have 30 real people. You got to see them as real people. People see it as a number. Yeah. 30 real people who sat down and took the time to watch your content and engage with your content. That's a win. Yeah. You just have to see it that way. Even if it's two people. Yeah. Right. The, the three questions we always get are, hey, number one, no one's watching my stuff or, or like, I think that's a really good way to say, hey, I'm going to humanize my, my viewers, right? That's the first one. The second is, well, I don't know if my content is connecting. And so almost like, what do I, what do I post and what do I share? And is there a, is that an iterative process? Is that an, because how much of that is, hey, I'm Sharon, I want to start this travel channel. I post something that I think will work and I get kind of no traction. But then I post something that I think is kind of B minus and I get insane traction. So now should I, it's not exactly what I want, but my audience loves it. Or sometimes it's exactly what I want, but my audience doesn't like it. How do I reconcile that? So the, the most important thing above everything is you have to like, say you're a travel blogger. You are not a relatable person, right? Most people can't travel the world for free or get paid to travel the world. And so if you only post photos of your travel, you'll get some audience who may appreciate the images, but you're not going to build a relationship with that audience that way. Mm. And so being vulnerable and being authentic and being relatable and sharing, you know, your hobbies, your interests, your failures, your, um, you know, the things that you've gone through and the, the struggles that you've been like, that's, how you're going to build an audience that actually cares about you. Right. And most people don't want to share that stuff because in their mind, they're looking at the person who's posting photos with a Lamborghini all day 
And they're like, well, but you know, they have a Lamborghini and, and it seems to be working for them. And it's like, however well it's working to, to flex a lifestyle, it would work better for that same person with the Lamborghini to just be honest and transparent and vulnerable about what they've been through and relate to their audience because you can't relate to a Lamborghini. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you, I think you nailed it. it. For me, it's like, Oh, I always come back to the, Hey, let's just come back to Brett and his mom, right? Like that's the story. At the end of the day, I can pitch everything. But then as soon as you tell the story about your mom, everyone's interested. I mean, it connected with an investor's son kind of being lonely in college. So this, the pe- people also, the stories also take a mind of their own uh, with context on other people's as well. I think that's why they relate. It's not that they, it's not that someone connected with your mom. It's like, what is your, who's your mom in their life? Exactly. Right. And that's when it kind of gets, gets super interesting. Um, there is a lot of um, mediums right now where it's, which allow for the vulnerability, right? Like the, you know, you've coached us on, Hey, how do you use stories while both uh, on Instagram kind of on and off the feed you've coached us on, on TikTok stuff. You can kind of, you can be vulnerable, see if it works and not be vulnerable at the same time. Is there, from a content delivery perspective, do you stay vulnerable on the straight up, the same channels as where you actually quote, give value? Like, am I doing on YouTube, am I doing one or two videos with kind of the, the curated versions and then one or two raw ones? Or how does somebody think of when to share the raw stuff and when not to share the raw stuff? Well, so my instinctual answer to that would be that it's, it, you're blending the two. So it's, it's not like, you know, if, if you're only ever posting, say, say you have a, a following on Instagram and you're only ever posting your problems, mm. right? That's helping you relate to your audience, but it's not helping them. Interesting. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, so the idea is that like, the idea is to just be, a, it's to be a human, not a content machine, right? Mm. And, uh, and so if you can be a human while adding value to people's lives in some way, that's the winning formula. Yeah. Um, our common friend, uh, Jason Capital, uh, and I were chatting yesterday and I was asking for some advice on the social stuff. And by the way, like whatever you kind of have supported him, he's killing, he's killing it. Right. He's killing it. And he's also super coachable because he, you know, he, he's super, super smart. And he told me, this was amazing. And I'd love your thoughts around this. He told me, um, so I asked him some content help and he said to me, I, 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 let's not talk about that. And I said, okay. He's like, let's talk about money. And I said, okay. He's like, tell me about where you're investing, how you're doing it, how you put money into this. And so as soon as he went to that, I was like, okay, these are the companies I'm looking at. This is how I'm investing. This is how I manage it. And I, I walked him through all of that. And he goes, dude, did you see how purposeful you are with that? I want you to transfer the purposefulness of that into your content because you think it's about posting one time a day or two times a day on a platform. And you're just saying, what do I post right now? That's when it clicked for me. And he says, you got to take the, how you're doing stuff that's purposeful somewhere else in your life. And it's not just posting one time a day. It there's, this is, you got to take a second to write it out, think about it, figure out the story arc, weave the characters because you're telling a story, you're influencing people. And to me, literally, I feel terrible saying this, but it was like, oh, I should just, I should post more. But he said, and, and I'd love your thoughts around how to, how can somebody in the background be more purposeful on creating good stuff? Yeah, well, and the idea there is that people can tell how much you care or don't care. And they can tell what you care about. And so there are a lot of people who post a ton and because what they post is, you know, uh, motivational quotes from other authors or whatever, it's not going to have the same amount of impact. And it's certainly not going to be, uh, and not, not like this is the end all be all, uh, purpose of building brand, but it's certainly not going to be as monetizable as you being you and, adding value where you can add value the best, right? Yeah. And a lot of people think that, you know, well, take, take capital raising, for example. Yeah. Odds are most people who want to build a, a, you know, an online business aren't interested in raising capital. And so, you know, that's a skill that you and I both have that is only valuable to a niche audience. Mm-hmm. But what are the, 
what are the things that we learned while raising capital that apply to everybody? Right. Right. Or, or that apply to all entrepreneurs or what are the stories or the experiences or things that we've gone through while trying to raise capital that we can pull from to add value to a larger audience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love for your thoughts around this. It was amazing how Jason pulls up this Google doc while we're on zoom and he's like, I'm going to start writing for you. And I go, what do you mean? He's like, I know all your stuff. I know. And he's just writing. He's like, you should tell the story of you fighting a raccoon in the dumpster. You should tell the story of how you came to the U S he's like, and Brett, he just went through and he gave, he's like, Sean, I've never seen any of these stories. Like I've never seen you share any of this, except in like a, an interview that you and I did that got 500,000 views. And he's like, that should tell you that that's what people want to see. And I said, well, how do I share that on TikTok in 60 seconds? He goes, that's secondary. Like you'll, you'll figure out 16 parts of that, but you have no, you have not organized your world to share that stuff. And that's where the cool stuff is. And that's what draw people in. And um, I just never, which is really sad for me. I just never realized that there, and he showed me, and you've, you've seen his content stuff. It is so story rich on everything that he shares. And I, we, people wonder why he gets so much traction on everything that he does because it's so purposeful. Yeah. Well, so like, here, here's an example, right? So a lot of people, people who are trying to raise money would want to know how I got in touch with investors, for example. Yeah. But you could, what I figured out in order to get in touch with investors is something that someone could use if they wanted to, you know, hopefully someday date a supermodel. Or if they wanted to, um, you know, hopefully someday be friends with their favorite celebrity or their favorite business influencer, right? And, uh, and so that's what I share. So what, what I talk about is I, I basically figured out how to leverage social media to reverse engineer warm networks. So if you know about the seven degrees of separation, yeah. right? Yeah. We're only seven mutual connections away from anybody in the world, whether it's the president of the United States or it's a labor in a third world country, yeah. we're only seven relationships away. Well, the amazing thing about social media is we can now see those seven degrees of yeah. separation. And so you can actually take someone who you want to eventually be friends with or, or have a business you know, partnership with or date. Yeah. And you can go to who they're following on their Instagram, which is likely only people that they're friends with, especially at the higher levels. Yeah. And then see who's following them back, right? So it's a reciprocated follow. It's a, it's a friend. And then you can work your way down to people who are more accessible and add value to those people and build relationships with those people and then follow your way back up the chain and become friends with or become business partners with or get to know whoever it is you want to get to know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, it was one of those things that it sounded cool in theory, but I didn't know for sure if it would work. And yeah. so with Hive, we were trying to work with influencers and I'm from a small town of 600 people. And I didn't know anybody with more than a thousand followers on Instagram. I didn't have any millionaire friends or anything. And so I just started, uh, you know, I went to the big A-list celebrity I wanted to work with someday. And I went to who they were following and who, you know, like I found someone with only, only 10 million followers yeah. and someone who that person was following with only a million followers. And then someone who that person was following with only a hundred thousand followers. And I started reaching out to the more accessible people and trying to add value and get them on board. And then once they were on board, I would leverage their name to get the person with a million and the person with 10 million. And then ultimately I ended up inviting a bunch of mutual friends for this person with over a hundred million to a party and they showed up. Right. And so it's, it's, it's not easy to do, right. It took me a couple of years to do that, but it's something that anybody can do. You can do it for any purpose. Right. Yeah. Let's, um, I've heard, I've heard you share this in, in different, um, different interviews and settings. And I wish more people would hear this. And if you could kind of bring a little bit of this to life, which is one thing you do better than almost anyone that I know is when people say, Oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, connect with Jimmy that knows Brett and add value to Jimmy, no one really knows, quote, what adding value to Jimmy means, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's not tangible at all. Like sending Jimmy an article is like not good enough. Yeah, it's like and, a buzzword. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I do this whole, I'm just bringing value today. And I'm like, well, what the hell, what does that mean anymore, right? Because everyone is like, just bring value. Um, could you, are there, um, are there instances or stories that come to mind where you went you, you, you actually stopped just the very fact that you said, Hey, I started with this person. You put effort into saying, 
even if it only took an hour, you did the research that was publicly available to you, and then you made the first reach out. Uh, was there is there a story or something that you have done thoughtfully uh, that you that no thoughtfully as in you 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 were very intentional about from a value add perspective, either something that someone has done for you or something that you've done for someone else that was like went above and beyond that kind of really kicked off a relationship. Yeah. So um, essentially the, the important parts to figure out when you're adding value to somebody is first you want to determine that that person is a high quality person. And I don't mean high quality as in high profile, but high quality as in somebody who's not going to take advantage of your generosity. Uh, that's good. And so I, I've talked to a lot of people and I've, I've kind of walked them through the add value uh, process and what that looks like. And you'll occasionally have people who have clearly been taken advantage of. And so they don't see, they don't see the benefit and it's because they're adding value to low quality people. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the reality is there are some people where if they find free labor, they're taking free labor. Right. Right. And it's not going to be free labor that turns into paid labor. It's going to be just more free labor. (laughs) And so, um, the first thing is making sure you're adding value to high quality people, making sure that you're adding that value repeatedly and you're not expecting anything in return. As soon as you start to keep score, you lose. Right. Um, and as long as they're a high quality person, eventually they're going to be uncomfortable just taking the value and they're going to offer to reciprocate. And if you were to, if you were to take the value at that point, it would be, uh, it would be okay. Right. It's like the the universe is cool with that. Uh, because you've already added so much value. However, if you can just be a little bit more long-term minded and, and practice delayed gratification a little bit more, and you can instead find a way for that person's value they're offering to be recycled onto someone else in your network who you know could really use that, where it would yeah. be a mutual exchange of value, where maybe even that person could add value back to this other person, yeah. right? Now there's a valuable business relationship or friendship there. That's how you become a very powerful person very quickly. And it, it's hard because when you're first getting started out, you have nothing, right? And a lot of people will say, well, you know, I don't know how to add value because I don't know how to build websites or like, you know, yeah. they, they, they're thinking of it from like a, how do I do it? Yeah. Uh, you I don't have to be the person yeah. who does it, yeah. right? You just have to find somebody who can be the person who can add the value and facilitate an introduction. And that is way easier, by the way, than trying to do it all yourself. Yeah. And so the first time when I met someone who I knew was really high profile, really a high quality person that I wanted to stay in touch with and wanted in my network, I didn't know anybody who I could introduce them to that could solve their problems, but I figured out what their problems were. And then I told them that I knew somebody and then I found that person. I made sure to go find that person. And it took me like a few months, yeah. uh, but I said, Hey, you know, sorry, I got caught up with some things. This is that person I wanted you to meet. And I put them in touch and they added a ton of value to each other. And now they're friends. And now they both come to me when they need help with something, right? Cause I'm, I'm the person who can solve their problems. And that's a great person to be, especially when you're not having to solve the problems yourself. But I think, what people want to see, and you can correct me if, if, if you see otherwise, but you know, you and I both, we have a platform. We both get a lot of people who hit us up and offer to work for us for free. And yeah. you know, they're trying to add value to us. For me, what I look for and how someone can stand out to me is initiative, <laughs> right? So offering to add value, right? Like very vaguely or offering to help or work for free that makes me have to do work now. I yep. have to work to figure out what you're good at, right? I don't have time for that. And I appreciate the gesture, but I, I can't use vague offers of help. Yeah. And so for someone to, let's say, you know, for example, I, I shared this with somebody uh, in a, at an event one time and I saw them at a, a follow-up event I was speaking at and they said, hey, um, I offered to build this guy a website because I could tell that he needed the website and he's not responding. He's a very, very big person with millions and millions of followers. And uh, I said, well, has he seen the message? And he said, yes. And I was like, okay. Uh, and, and he hasn't responded. He said, no. And I said, build him the site. Yeah. And he went and he built the site, even though the guy didn't respond. Yeah. And he said, hey, here's a site I built you. I noticed you could use a new site. I built you this. And the guy responded. They got lunch. And now, you know what I mean? So, yeah showing that initiative to pay enough attention to someone to figure out what their problems are and then, and then take the initiative to actually do it. Right. Yeah. Don't just, uh, words are cheap. Right. Yeah. And so if you can actually take that initiative now, let's say it's an introduction that you want to make for somebody. The best way to do that is to get what I call is it's a double opt-in. 
right? So you talk to one party and you say, hey, I want to introduce you to so-and-so because I, you know, I, I noticed that you, know, you could use help with whatever, they do this. And then you get the okay, you do the same thing with the other party, you get the okay, and then you put them in a group chat and then they do all the value building and they have all the you know, success and all the relationship uh, benefits and everything. And then you just get the props for that, right? You get yeah. the credit. That's yeah. the easiest and best way to do that. And so usually when I meet someone new now, I immediately start thinking of how I can add value to that person. If it's someone that I want to, you know, I want to keep in my life. Yeah. And so one time I met with a, a man who uh, had, he just sold his company for over a billion dollars and he, uh, he had, he was a very influential guy. And I was like, man, how can I help this person? Yeah. And so I just started picking his brain and I was asking him, you know, now that you sold your company, like what's next? And he told me that he was getting into media and like entertainment uh, industry and that he didn't really know anybody in that space yet. It was like a new thing for him. Yeah. And I had at that point, because I ran Hive, knew a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And I happened to know someone who was really, really high up in that space. And I basically said, hey, would you like to get, you know, would, would this connection be useful? And he said, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I called him and I said, hey, I have this guy who sold this company. And the guy had heard of the company he sold, right? Yeah. Very, very big company. And I said, uh, I think you guys, you know, should get to know each other. What do you think? And he said, yes. Yeah. So I put him in touch while I was sitting in front of the guy, put him in a group chat, they got on the phone. And when he came back in from talking to him, he was just in shock at how much, like, he's like, why did, why did you do that? You know, like, why? you know, that was amazing. And, and so now we're friends and, and he kind of, he's responsive now. If I ever know that he can add value to one of my relationships, he'll respond, yeah. he'll help, right? And so it kind of perpetuates itself. And so now I have all these high quality people that all, you could say, owe me a favor, but I don't, that's not how, the way that yeah, I work, right? Thinking, and so yeah. what I get from that, since I'm not taking it for myself, is I get their responsiveness. Yeah. And I get their willingness to help my other friends, right? And yeah. so that's, that's a, a really cool way that you can build uh, a powerful network. Dude, you just dropped like the biggest gold because, I mean, if you just summarize, if you just, just took away those three things. Number one, right, you can make the offer, but making the offer now creates more work for the person that you're making the offer. Just go do it, which I think is like, that's ama amazing, especially if it's within your core competency to do that. The second is adding value to somebody, especially when you put two people together, is, is so much more than what you can build them, what money can offer, because what comes from that, essentially you are the, you're patient zero, you're the source. And so every time they get together, they're like, oh, have you caught up with Brett yet? Now they talk about you all the time, which is amazing. But the third is where you nailed it, man. You said, now you've gotten their responsiveness. That essentially, that's what it's all about, right? Like when our ability to raise our hand and say, oh, cool, I'm going to call Brett. Like I know that if I, the, 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 the gratefulness and the, I feel safe. This is a safety feeling in, in our support systems. And mm -hmm. um, like you said, going back to the original premise of you starting the first app was the feeling of loneliness, right? When you feel lonely and don't have the support system, no one is saying yes to you. No one is being responsive to you. So it's tight. What you've created is this ecosystem of people willing to, uh, you know, give you the high five when you raise your hand, which is like so amazing because you're doing it with the, they're like, it's not like, what can I do for you? Cause a lot of times I talk to somebody and you do something for them. I introduce them to you and they're like, Hey, thanks so much for the intro to Brett. What can I do for you? And I'm like, I feel so smarmy right away. I'm like, no dude, I'm good. You know, I just did that. And so it, it, those three things were like awesome and awesome. Well, and you know, obviously I, I remember what it was like to be in a place of need. Right in a place of lack and, and how hard it is to continue to delay the gratification. And I've had a lot of people ask, uh, you know, so great, now you built this big network, but how do you monetize that? Like how, like at some point you have to take something for yourself. And my answer to that basically is it's very easy to determine when those opportunities are. One, because a lot of times they'll be blatantly offered you. I've had people tell me like, no, like you're gonna get a piece of this deal. Okay. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. But two, because say, say you own a restaurant, right. And we've been friends for a long time and, uh, and I've helped you out a lot in various things. You've helped me out a lot in various things. And, uh, and I've never expected anything from you and vice versa. We're just, you know, we're good friends. 
At some point, maybe you say, hey, do you know anybody who does uh, SMS marketing for restaurants? I hear that that's like all the rage right now and it works really well for so-and-so across the street. I'd like to get into that. And I own a marketing agency and you're coming to me, right? I might not offer that, but I'd say, you know what? I, I, I do know somebody who does that and I would put you in touch with that person. Now, uh, kind of like a, 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 the type of person you don't want to be is the type of person who says, yeah, you know, like, just cut me in or whatever. Cause like that, you know, it's weird for the relationship and, and, uh, it ruins your positioning. Uh, the other type of person you don't want to be is you don't want to white label it and you don't want to take something that's 15,000 a month at retail and market up to 18,000 for your buddy. Yep. Right. But the type of person that you can be and the type of person that I am and what I do is I go to the agency providing the service and I say, Hey, I know you guys probably spend 20, 30% of your budget on marketing. I'm gifting you a client. Yeah. So can you give me that 20 or 30% per month? Yeah. And I'll keep bringing you more clients. Yeah. Now you're paying the same price you would pay if you found them on your own, but you didn't have to find them on your own because I found them for you. So I did all the hard work of making sure they were legit, talking to their previous clients, making sure that they had great results, right? Looking at the reviews. I did all the resourcefulness for you. Yeah. I saved you a bunch of time and headache. I introduced you to the person. You're paying the same price you would pay otherwise, right? But I'm now getting a piece. Yeah. Right. And, and ideally in a lot of these deals, it's recurring and it's yeah. passive because they're the ones doing the work. Of course. And so you can build up, you know, a multi-million dollar income just brokering deals that way. Once you have a, uh, a network like that. Dude, it's so amazing that you just said that. Um, and it, it kind of gave me chills because I have in the last probably 10 years gotten just cut into offered. Hey, just offered hey, uh, copied on a random uh, email to an attorney saying, Hey, Sharon, can you share your address and this? Because uh, we're sending you a, you know, a piece of the, this, this deal. I'm like, what deal? And what, why, why? They're like, no. So I literally have pieces of deals that never asked for. And I almost feel a little guilty taking, but, but my dad always calls this the, the car, the kind of the karmic balance, right? It's, you never asked for it and you're almost insulting them by not taking it because they have thought so deeply about offering it to you. They feel that they offered it to you and they, they want you as a part of it. And you continue to do what you do. Like you would help out regardless anyway. So don't do anything different because you have a piece of the deal. Do whatever you would normally do. Yeah. And people will never, like the average person will never believe me on the stuff that I've, that you and I have gotten just a piece of stuff with never asking for anything. And it happens, like I'll tell you, it happens constantly. Yeah. And like, I'd say two to three equity slugs a year, which I think is a lot. And if you put 10 years yeah. together, you have 30 equity slugs and stuff, which is amazing. Yeah. amazing. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Just like ad- advisory stakes in like yeah. so many different companies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it, it's just what I think it, it shows is that high quality people are uncomfortable just taking all the time. Right. And I think it's important to understand too, because I've been on the, the flip side of this, right. I'm sure you have been as well, where you're trying to bless somebody who deserves it and yeah. they won't take it. You're robbing that person of their ability, to, of their want to bless you. That's not any better. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing to take a gift. Yeah. It's a good thing to take, uh, you know, an out of nowhere thank you offer because that person wants to give that to you. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's blessing them to take it. So I have learned that because I've been on the flip side of that where I'm trying to help somebody out and they won't take it and drive me nuts. Oh yeah. You know, and at some point would love to, I'd love to uh, do another episode with you and deep dive on this one thing. And I'll make a note of this is uh, this topic of, of kind of rest. I I hate to call it kind of forced reciprocity, but just respecting kind of the, the karmic balance and maybe a coaching mentoring too. Like I've gotten into relationships where I'm like, I will gladly write the check. Like I will gladly write the check up front because uh, one day my dad always told me this. He said, it's the symbol of your seriousness. Cause if someone mm-hmm. walked in and offered me this check, I know right away that they're not quote trying to pick my brain, right? Like that's, it's so painful. And I'm like, I don't even, I'm happy to spend time with people. I just don't know if they're going to go do anything with it. And that's what bothers me more than anything else. But if someone wrote me a check, I know for sure that they're super serious 
And you and I don't need the cash. I, I'm very grateful for that. But that symbol is super important. Now I just lead with, I'm happy to write the check up front because they know that I'm super serious. They prioritize my communication. They're like, okay, Sean's serious about this. But that would be a very cool, you know, if I can, if I can spend a little bit more time with you, I'd be love to dive into that because I think it'll give people, a, you know, stop thinking about just, like you can accelerate growth very quickly by writing a very small oh, check. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, uh, so the neighborhood that I live in has several people on the Forbes 400. Uh, the Waltons live here and, and just a lot of really crazy people. And uh, if there's been opportunities where I've met uh, certain people uh, that I've blown away to meet. And my first offer was, you know, hey, I'd love to, love to contribute to your, your foundation for some of your time. <laughs> Right. And, and the, one of the things that you'll realize uh, as you know, for, for anybody listening is most high profile people have not all, but most have their own foundation or a foundation yep. they care a lot about. Yep. And $500 to that foundation is worth more than $500,000 to them in right. income. Right. And so reaching out and offering to, to give to their foundation if they have one of their own or to give to a foundation that matters to them. It also, you know, it shows that you're serious. It shows that you respect their time and their value, but it also shows that, uh, that you, where your heart is, you know? Yeah. And so usually I, I offer, you know, to, to them or their foundation just yeah. in case, <laughs> but, uh, but that's worked really well for me too. I'd, I'd love to kind of deep dive on this with you because I think that would be a, just the, just that, you know, not, not, not tactics around that, but just the warmth around that. I think people just, yeah. the creativity around that is just not there. Right. And I think that there's so, it's so, it's so powerful to be able to, to be able to do that. Monopolize is your big baby right now. And yeah. uh, we, we are super grateful to be partners with you on, on that. Uh, how, where can people find you? Where can, where do they go to kind of get more, more of Brett? So uh, Instagram's a good place. It's my last name, Knutson, K-N-U-T-S-O-N. Uh, it's probably the, the best place to reach out. Uh, you can also email me. It's just brett, uh, B-R-E-T-T, at monopolize.com. Awesome. Hey, I, um, you, dude, I, you and I could chat forever about this stuff, and uh, I can't. Uh, you are a busy man. I can't thank you enough for spending time with us and dropping so much knowledge. I'll link everything in the show notes below. And uh, uh the world needs more people like you, my friend. So thank you so much for being on. That's very kind. Thank you for having me. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed that you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you, for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com. That's businessschoolshow.com.